As you've probably heard by now, we've teamed up with BetMGM this season. We'll be using BetMGM lines to make all of our picks, and we'll have special offers for our listeners each week. If you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC, and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic, plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager with BetMGM. Here's how it works. Download the BetMGM app and sign up using bonus code THEATHLETIC. Make your first deposit of at least $10, place your first bet on any game, and claim your voucher for a one-year subscription to The Athletic. See BetMGM.com for terms. U.S. promotional offers not available in D.C., Mississippi, New York, Nevada, Ontario, or Puerto Rico. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Available in the U.S. Call 877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY 467-369 in New York. Call 1-800-NEXT-STEP in Arizona. 1-800-327-5050 in Massachusetts. 1-800-BETS-OFF in Iowa. 1-800-270-7117 for confidential help in Michigan. 1-800-981-0023 in Puerto Rico. First bet offer for new customers only in partnership with Kansas Crossing Casino and Hotel. Don't forget, if you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager. The Athletic. Hello and welcome to Pod on the Time, your go-to Newcastle United podcast brought to you by The Athletic, coming up on this week's show. A VAR cry, we have our pockets picked at Stamford Bridge after signing steal the show at St Mary's. The geopolitical derby, fans caught in the middle. And a few more air miles for Eddie's squad after Everton away. Yes, hello again. This is Pod on the Tyne. I am Taylor Payne and we're a bit furious about VAR, but mostly happy about the team's performance. Before we get into the pod, and apologies if you didn't hear about this, but we did a Twitter space last Friday, and if you don't know what that is, it's a bit like a live podcast with guests. Or at least, it's supposed to have guests. Here are the highlights. George, can you hear me? <laughs> Hello, George. I think you need to unmute yourself. Hello, everyone, by the way. Thank you for coming to this. Impromptu to a degree, although I suppose it was organised this morning. George, are you there? Yes, I am. I'm just listening to you talk shit. That's quite funny. Um, sorry, impromptu. I... No, no, it's good. An impromptu, but also planned quite a long time in advance. Twitter space. Yes, well, you know. Good start. Very good start. I think we've got Taylor here as well. I think the full pod on the Tain crew is here. Taylor, you can meet yourself and say hi. Hello. There he is. Does anyone have a question? I think you can request to raise your hand or something. I don't know exactly how you do it, I'll be honest with you. But I will bring in Luke Edwards at this point because uh, oh, he... No. Oh, God. Yeah, apologies, everyone, but I have brought him in because in, in January... He... Oh, there he is. God. <laughs> no. God, this is a dull listen. Um, are your podcasts always this sort of vanilla and grey? Chris, cheeky, get rid of him. Get. <laughs> get rid of him. Bye-bye. Bye, Luke. Should I see if there are a couple of people want to ask any questions? 
Chris. This is dangerous ground. This Chris. Dangerous territory. I know. This I know. Particularly because really I don't really know. I don't even know what I'm doing really when I when I'm pressing buttons on my phone. So we shall Chris, see whether this works. Chris, 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 you don't know what you're doing. Full stop, pal. Well, it's, it's a fair point. Yeah. This could go anywhere. George, do you get the feeling that the power of Chris being in charge of this space has gone to his head somewhat, considering he's not in charge during yeah. the normal podcast? Yeah, I think the power's gone to his head. And that's a little bit. Well, the, power, the power's gone so much to my head that nobody has requested to speak, so it is just it is just the three of us. Nobody wants to join. Just to update on the, on the requests front, so I've had a few DMs from people telling me that there have been requests. Yeah. And this is not just my incompetence. These requests are not coming through, but I will now invite one of the people who has messaged me to say that they can't actually do that in John Lane to, to speak, see if this works. John, are you there? Has this worked? You might have to unmute yourself when you come on. Are you there, John? Has this it... is like a shit seance, isn't it? <laughs> oh, I know this is not working. This probably is now my incompetence. So It's the worst chat sex line ever. <laughs> is there a John? Is there a John there? This is really not going well. Okay, that... I now see a thousand people who have requested to speak. Right. <laughs> Well, I can't. Mine says zero. Okay. I have got... I've got a... Oh, no. <laughs> see, I'm not sure that I can do this either. Yeah, see, it's not just me being... I mean, it is mainly me All being... Right. I've got Tom Lynch. I'm asking Tom Lynch to join us. I have added Tom as a speaker. Let's see if he can speak. Are you there? Hello there. <laughs> <laughs> that's That's amazing. <laughs> that is the last time we put you in charge of anything, Chris. That was absolutely comical. Yeah, that's I don't remember it being that painful but... while we were doing it, but that was so painful. <laughs> oh my god! I mean, I enjoyed it at the time. It was, it was, it was. Uh, you know, I'm just, I'm just used to being blanked by people anyway. So it was just, uh, it was sort of, it was sort of just no, normal service resumed for me. We've absolutely. Cut away all of Chris's confidence <laughs> right at the start of the podcast. We're going to have to slowly, we'll have to rebuild oh. him, Taylor, I think, after that. Yeah, we will. I mean, let's be fair. After we managed to get through the technical glitches, we had a great little chat with uh, a lot of people came on and spoke to us and stuff, and we had a really good time. So the Twitter spaces are a new thing for us. We're definitely going to do more of them. Uh, keep an eye out on Twitter and, and, and what have you for the for the links and there'll be more in the future definitely but Chris thank you for doing that because I, I'll be honest I'm glad you did the first one instead of me because I think it would have been just as bad yeah th- thank you Chris but I mean we'll we'll call you please don't uh, please don't call us that's quite alright <laughs> George if ever I'm if ever I'm off I've sick got, from horse oh, can you please do it yourself shit, and not... a shit seance that was great that <laughs> don't was hand the reins over to that shit fool <laughs> Right. So, it's been an eventful week for Newcastle, even by our standards, so uh, let's get into it. Remember, if you can, last Thursday's trip to St Mary's. On the left, Murphy gets out to Walker-Peters, who brings it down. Cross comes in, header, and then a second header, and Southampton have opened the scoring. Now Shelby, two in the box, and Willock on the edge. Shelby sticks it in, looking for Chris Wood, and he's got his first Newcastle goal. It's a header from Chris Wood. Shelby's ball in, a quality goal, finished off by Chris Wood, who opens his account in his eighth game for his new club. Here's Target's ball in, it's towards the back of the box, Burn heads across, and it's they've got themselves in front, Newcastle, the goal has been scored by Bruno Guimaraes, a goal on his full debut for Newcastle, flicked in. 
So, yeah, Chris, the the game at St Mary's, uh, coming away with the three points, uh, an unbelievable goal from Bruno as well, and a, a fairly s- solid performance from Newcastle there. Three points in the bag. Yeah, again, changes had to be made in midfield. Bruno came in. That the the big concern was that Joe Linton obviously missed out from injury, being absolutely crucial to Newcastle's unbeaten run, although that eight game unbeaten run they had up until that stage, and the first start for for, for Bruno in the in the Premier League. And there were there were moments where you can see that it's going to take him a bit of a time to adapt physically, a bit of time to adapt to the pace of the Premier League. But equally, there were also moments of of class beyond the goal itself I mean there were some really good passes some really nice touches some some clever movement and once he shifted he started in a 4-3-3 started on the left hand side of the three in the Joe Linton role and didn't look as comfortable when they switched to my favourite thing double pivots him and him and, him and John Joe Shelby oh, sitting as geez. the double pivots double. Uh, once he was in that position he just looked so much and Newcastle looked better for it he was getting the ball deeper he was getting more yeah. touches and move them up the pitch. But then that moment, which even afterwards, Howe admitted that of all the things he expected of, of Bruno, goals are not something he scores particularly often. Mm. He's not exactly prolific, but the, the the technique is just it's 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 an astounding goal. It's the fact that obviously the cross comes in from the corner comes in from targets, headed across by Byrne. And from where I'm sitting in in the St. Mary's press box, Bruno is sort of facing outwards, so he's facing almost towards where I am. And I see the ball then going to the back of the net at quite some pace. And so I thought it's ricocheted off someone. I can see his legs sticking out, but I thought it's ricocheted off someone or it's an own goal or whatever. And it's only when you see the replay, just a, it's yeah. astonishing the power he gets into that, just the ingenuity. What a goal. Absolutely brilliant. I want to take that goal away to a slightly fading seaside resort town and have a gorgeous weekend of illicit activity with it illicit activity oh god it was just go- it was beautiful but the, the i mean it was great wasn't it yeah it was it was it was it was phenomenal yeah how he does it i've got no idea but the you know the other thing is that's that's another game that newcastle have come come from behind in and obviously they 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 beat southampton but they did the same thing against west ham to draw they did the same thing against everton to win and it's um, you know it's that it's that it's that newfound resilience that that Newcastle now have. They're staying in games, and when they hit a bit of trouble, they're not panicking. And we've seen so many times over the over the last kind of months and seasons that when they've hit a bit of turbulence, they've not known what to do and they've panicked. And they don't do that now. They're not doing it within matches. Um, and you know they 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 have that sort of capacity to to bounce back, and that is just it's so encouraging that and so good. Lovely to see Chris Wood get on the score sheet as well and get his first goal in black and white, a smashing header, fantastic ball in from John Joe Shelby, who does have that in his locker. It's a great ball, and he's uh, he's picked the lock, hasn't he, and popped it right onto Wood's forehead, and it's a lovely goal, Chris. It's just it's exactly what you want to see from the big Kiwi, isn't it? That's exactly what we need. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah, I've just seen a kiwi fruit yeah, there. What that's what he is. He's a kiwi. The giant coconut. <laughs> <laughs> but I mean, in, in terms of that, because because Howe's been asked about it a fair bit, and actually in the press conference before that game, he was sort of asked about are you, are you considering taking Chris Wood out of the side because he hasn't scored yet. But and how how's response was so he said no Chris Wood is not coming out of the team anytime soon said he said if he doesn't score it doesn't bother me because what he's doing elsewhere in terms of what he's bringing to the side 
but for for Estrega, Wood would desperately wanted to score. And I don't know if you've seen his interview on uh, NUFC TV after the game. It's, <laughs> it's just absolutely superb when he's he's asked about he's because obviously subsequently they've been to Chelsea and the unbeaten run's gone. But he's asked Dan King asks him about the unbeaten run and he just swears and then goes touch Wood. Fucking touch Wood, mate. Touch Wood, mate. And then touches himself again. So he's just, he just see, and he's just by all accounts, and I've spoken to quite a few people about him. He just seems to be a really, really committed and genuine guy. And I think he's really, really well liked. The footage afterwards that the club put out of him going into the dressing room and, and being applauded great. on the way in, yeah. Um, that so was lovely. Really pleased for him because he's just he's he's worked his bollocks off over the course of the last few weeks, and finally he's got a he's got a bit of a reward for it. The spirit's there, George, isn't it? The, the 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 character of this team, of this squad, of those players, it's there for everyone to see. They're they're able to do it if the you know when the chips are down, they're going to dig in and they're going to try and get results every way they can. And they looked organised. They looked like they were up for the fight. There was tackles flying in, and it, it's just it's really nice to see a team like that. They, it could have been so easy for them to roll over and and just accept defeat at Christmas time when they were struggling, but they've 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 come back and they've really really shown what they can do. It's an astonishing run of results and, um, you know, Eddie Howe's done a brilliant job. I think we mentioned on the spaces, but we should mention here too that, you know, he's won Manager of the Month and and quite rightly too. And, you know, when you point things like that out on Twitter, the response you get from a lot of people is, well, yes, that's to do with the 90 million quid they spent in January. And of course, you have to acknowledge that. I mean, you also have to acknowledge that for the two previous windows, they didn't sign anybody who wasn't called Joe Willock. And, you know, the, a lot of that money wasn't just about Newcastle, um, you know, setting their stall out. It was it was about kind of correct, correcting the lack of investment that had been in the squad beforehand. And at the same time, through this run, Newcastle have had to do without Callum Wilson, who you'd say is their best player, certainly was before January. They've done most of it without uh, Kieran Trippier, who had a brilliant impact, was then been injured. Most of it they've had to do without Alan St. Maximar. And um, players who've been hugely, um, you know, hugely pivotal, as Chris mentioned, Jalinton, he then has got, come out for a couple of games and so on and so forth. It hasn't mattered who has been in and out of the team. They found a way to get positive results. And the thing I love about what they did in January is that this wasn't about changing the whole ethos of the squad, the whole makeup of the squad, the people who've come into it have enhanced it massively yes that had to happen but they've fitted into to that feeling that was around Newcastle in the first place it's not like Newcastle had a load of bad characters that they had to ship out this is a team full of good characters and players who've been trying the best they've all been lifted they're all pushing each other they're all getting along with, along with each other we've seen again Kieran Trippier there on crutches in Southampton cheering the team on Isaac Hayden who hasn't been involved because of injury and has been left out of the squad, saying on Twitter yesterday that he couldn't be more proud of the team. And, you know, that's a really, really valuable thing. Yes, of course, it's, you know, that's part of what happens when you when you win matches. But no, I, I kind of love everything they've done. We're going to get to talk about that Chelsea game in just a minute as well. But did you see the <laughs> there were some fun photos flying around of the owners before the Southampton game where they were on the train? Uh, Amanda Stavely made that good to see, and Jamie Rubin all sat there, uh, <laughs> and somebody photoshopped um, a load of empty cans of lager in front of them and said, "It's a, now it's a proper away day." Which I, which I think then they, uh, which I think Jamie Rubin posted on his Twitter and said, "He did fixed yeah. it, fixed it," and it was like, and yeah. actually, I was the one, I was the one who photoshopped the Joel Linton faces onto me. <laughs> 
brown good. shirt, by the yeah. way. That was yeah. that was my work. Yeah, yeah. It's like you come on, come on. You've got to lose the coffee here. Lose the coffee. You've got to get with it. If you're gonna, you know, if you're gonna have a serious relationship in Newcastle, then uh, eight yeah. cans of warm lager. That's what's needed on that table. I'm afraid so. Yeah, but good fun. Looking for an assist with your credit card, but can't get a hold of anyone? Luckily, with 24-7 US-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yep, you heard that right. You can talk to a real human and customer service at any time. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask us. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. This episode is brought to you by Michelob Ultra, the official beer sponsor of the NBA. Want to get closer to the game than ever before? Michelob Ultra Courtside is giving fans the chance to win exclusive NBA prizes and experiences like official gear, courtside seats to an NBA game, and more. Head over to MichelobUltra.com courtside to learn more. The Chelsea game, an interesting one this. Obviously, with everything that's going on in the world at the minute, there was eyes on on this game from all over the place, media-wise. But Newcastle, I think they've been massively unlucky to come away without anything from this game. And there's some of the incidents and uh, some of the decisions have still got me scratching my head, to be honest, Chris. Um, I mean, we grew into the game, didn't we? And In the second half, it looked like Newcastle were the only team who were going to win it. But... VAR and referees and penalties and then uh, a little bit of class from Havertz as well. It all it all just shows you where it shows you the difference between those two sides, doesn't it? When the t- when the team sheet came out at Stamford Bridge, I think there was a a lot of concern a lot among the fan base, and I think along most a lot of us that that team looked comparatively weak compared to a, to a lot of recent Newcastle lineups. I mean, there was probably six players who you who you would say would either definitely have started or been very close to starting who were unavailable. So beyond even the likes of, of Wilson and Trippier long-term injured, Joe Linton was still out. Um, there were also Ryan Fraser came out of the team, having started really well in recent weeks, but just basically physically shattered. And then they also lost Joe Willig and, and John Joe Shelby the night before due to illness. So they trained the whole time and into a new midfield, completely untested, had barely even trained together as a midfield two in that formation was uh, Sean Longstaff and Bruno Gimresh, and then also switched to a, a back three. It looked like it was going to be a back five, but really, actually, it was it was more for a large part of the game was the three four three, and that was what yeah, was so it was impressive. Three four three, wasn't it? Yeah, what was yeah. so impressive was that the last time Newcastle played Chelsea at St James's was under Graham Jones uh, when George was there. I was not at that game, but he played with a back five, and Newcastle basically let Chelsea have the ball, have the territory, just seeded the match essentially. But it wasn't. There was the, the, what Eddie Howe showed, and I wrote about this afterwards, is that playing three at the back is not in itself inherently negative. I mean, some of the top team, Chelsea often play with three at the back. They didn't start with that on, at the weekend, which was a surprise. But at times, Newcastle had seven attackers, basically, when Chelsea had the ball pressing into the opposition half and trying to stifle them, trying to create issues. So they only had basically a th- less than a third of the ball, but equally... They had as many opportunities as Chelsea. They had exactly the same number of shots, exactly the same number of efforts on target. 
And for large parts of the game, I think they probably shaded it. They made Chelsea look very, very ordinary. Um, the one frustration, Howe said it himself after the game, was that when Newcastle got the ball, they probably weren't good enough with it. That's the one thing where the, 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 the rare occasions they got it, they still didn't recycle possession well enough. But equally, off the ball, I thought they were absolutely exceptional. And then, yeah, the, the, the incidents, the, the VAR incidents, uh, the, the, the red card, which I think... Is I, 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 if that had been given as a red card, it wouldn't be downgraded equally. I can see to an extent why it wasn't upgraded, but I do think if it's the other way around, as Dan Byrne himself said in his post-match interview, I think he is sent off. And then the the, the non-penalty award is just staggering. The fact that he he, he basically is as how describes it rips his shirt off. Almost. I mean, he has three goals at him, doesn't he? Yeah, he has three and, goals. And then he also he also then catches him with his foot, and then. The fact that a corner is given as well, so so VAR checks it, and there's a weird bit within the stadium. And George was seen this that during there was a few incidents that went to VAR, but the only one that actually was communicated within the stadium to the wider fact was was when Timo Werner's uh, went offside through went through and yeah. goal. That was the only one that was communicated inside the stadium, even though there was so that was weird in itself. But so the incident the incident did go to VAR, but but so I don't understand what what the VAR official. It hasn't gone to the referee and said, all right, so you've given a corner. Do you want to just go and look at it to, to check that he definitely catches the ball? Because it doesn't look like he gets the ball at all. So that's what that's the bit that makes it even more baffling beyond it all, is that the VAR official hasn't even then come to him. Because that's the assumption. You have, to, you have to assume that he thinks that he, he's won the ball, because otherwise it's, it's a goal kick to Chelsea. So it was... Yeah, the, the the decisions were staggering. Howe was absolutely fuming after the match, as it, as it was understandable. And yeah, I do think that they're, they're really those incidents change matches, and I, and I think Newcastle were robbed in many ways. Absolutely, and I mean the, the you know Kai Havertz was on the pitch to to score the winning goal, and a great goal it was as well. There's no doubt in that. It was a beautiful ball by Jorginho, and he takes it down and puts it away really nicely. Um, but should he have been on the pitch anyway? Uh, uh, he was asked if he should have been sent off. Let's have a listen. Sometimes, of course, it looks like this on the pitch is different. I mean, um, I think people know me not as a player who uh, does things like this, you know, in a certain way. I mean, um, this guy is, I don't know, seven, eight foot tall and I have to jump. Of course, as anyone know, um, you have to, to use your arms to jump. And um, when I jump and he's two, two heads like higher than me, of course, sometimes it's tough. Um, I can say sorry for him because I saw he has an injury here on the head and I feel bad, of course. But um, you cannot tell me that I, I do this on purpose. And um, yeah, sorry for this. Now, to me, um, I, 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 can, I, can under, I can kind of understand from Eddie Howe's point of view, and when he said, I can understand why it hasn't been given as a red card, I get that. But to me, he's led with his elbow. He has led the jump with his elbow. He's jumped into Dan Byrne with his elbow first. Now, I get you've got to have leverage to get get yourself up there. And I know he's he's tall, and Kai Havertz in, he's seven, eight foot tall. Obviously, that isn't true. I think he might have embellished that slightly. Um, but he's led with his elbow, man. He's led with his elbow. And he's caught him, and he's hurt him. Now... If I was Kai Havertz, I'd be checking under my bed for Dan Byrne when I got home last night because he should have been shitting himself. Because I wouldn't, if you, anybody, you don't want to elbow anybody, but if you elbow Dan Byrne, you, you're in trouble, basically. You could see Byrne was raging about it. And Dan Byrne thought he should have been a red card, George. Yeah, I mean, and that the, you know, I'm sure that, you know, Havertz is right when he says he didn't do it on purpose and you do have to use your arms to, reckless, to get up. isn't it? You know, band burn does exactly the same thing. I mean, he uses his, but Havertz's elbows are at head height, 
and he has to get them that high to be able to jump above Burn anyway. And so, yes, at that point, I think it becomes reckless and I think it becomes dangerous. And I think that was the that was the thing for me. It's not about intent; it's about endangering somebody else, and it's about reckless. And I think I think that was. I think that was reckless. So I think Newcastle lost out there. And yeah, I mean, I totally agree with Chris. I was in the away end at Stamford Bridge and the, you know, the non-penalty incident was was just kind of staggering. It was at the other end of the pitch um, from us. But even from that distance, it just, you know, it just sort of, it, it, it wasn't explicable. And then having seen it again, Really, since I've since I've come home today, it's, I I just can't I can't get my head around the fact that there have been so many errors in that, and I feel sorry. I do feel sorry for the for referees. It's not Newcastle have suffered terribly from that from those decisions at Stamford Bridge, but it, I do feel sorry for the referees because this is supposed to be making yeah, their exactly. life easier, and it's making it worse. It's 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 supposed to be a system that clears things up, and it's making it worse. And it's it's you know that is nonsense. So there, there there are there should be if if it's supposed to take away human error and it's making it's giving us more human. Well, we're error. just adding another human I, who's also making an error, aren't we? It's it's just yeah. doubling it up. It's it's astonishing. Yeah. And I mean, you know, the officials have been universally derided for the for the decision, the the on field officials and the VAR officials, and quite rightly so. I think it's it's one of the most stonewall penalties I've ever seen in my life. And uh, Alan from work as well. Uh, no stranger to leading with the elbow himself, obviously, uh, said decisions were nonsensical and pathetic. Um, he, he worded his, uh, he chose his words very wisely and he was very strong uh, in, in what he said about the incident. Um, I don't know what I don't know what Chalabar has to do extra for that to be a penalty. What uh, did he need to go through Jacob Murphy? Did he need to side them down? He's got a fistful of his shirt and he has three goes at him. And then the last one, he puts his leg across him and he doesn't play the ball and he brings Murphy down. If it's not a penalty, then I don't know what sport I'm watching anymore. It's ridiculous. It's absolutely ridiculous. Yeah, and and Chris Chris made that point as well. But it was also it was it was said by Dermot Gallagher on Sky as well that you know the the other error was that you know, was that the ball was going for a corner. Well, if the referee thought that, then the VAR should be there to correct him of that because if it wasn't a corner, it had to be something else. It had to either be a goal kick or a penalty. So, you know, the, 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 that corrective mechanism hasn't kicked in on two or three on two or three occasions, and that's the thing that's inexplicable. It's not just one mistake that hasn't been uh, picked up on. It's several yeah, Isaac Hayden as well said after the game, as you mentioned earlier on, some performance from the boys against 12 men today. He might get himself in a spot of bother there, Chris, Isaac Hayden. <laughs> he, he, he might. I mean, who who, who was he referring well, to? Exactly. Or, you know, he could be referring to exactly. Newcastle fans in the away end. He could be, so, so that, that could be his defence. But just in terms of, because this, this bit, and there's been a lot of, and I understand exactly why there's been anger and negativity, but I just want to raise again how positive the performance was from Newcastle. I just want to go back to that and say how impressed I was by so many of the performances and the fact that they didn't go and they weren't overawed. That was a scratch team, essentially. It was a scratch formation. It was a scratch team. Yes, they've worked on it in training because Howe wants to be able to change that. Yes, those players should be able to come in and do it. But the fact that this over the course of the last six weeks, there have had to be enforced changes at certain points. They're without the very important it was the first time under Eddie Howe that none of Joe Linton, John Joe Shelby or Joe Willock hadn't played in, in, in a team so that that's their first choice midfield all gone he only had two midfielders so he had to to play them together and 
I thought they were the better team for large parts of the game. They really frustrated Chelsea, and Chelsea didn't seem to to know how to find a way through. It was one defensive lapse at the end, and that is my one concern. I think Dan Burns been absolutely brilliant, but Southampton did the same thing to him the other day, and he got caught out a little bit by Brentford. That that sort Diagonal, of crossfield yeah. ball diagonal ball he's been caught out a couple of times and so teams are starting to target that area but equally for the re- for the rest of the game he was absolutely excellent as the whole just about every single player was and so I just want to highlight yeah I want to highlight the positives again just see how impressed I was I, 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 Miguel Almiron ran himself in the ground yeah, yeah, yeah. the only slight negative I'd really have was that I thought when Alan Sack-Maximan came on he was poor and I thought that it wasn't just that he didn't necessarily have the same spark and attack, which we don't know how fit he was in terms of illness and things like that. But I just didn't look himself to me. But he also, I just it might not be immediately obvious on the TV. But in terms of off the ball work, Newcastle lost a lot when he came on, and they started to target that side, and I thought that affected them. That was something that I wanted to pick up on as well. I mean, I do want my, you know, I do want our tone to be overwhelmingly positive because I think it was, and I agree with everything that Chris says. And again, that point you made about changing the formation. How, how sort of nice it is for that to be done in a positive way or a proactive way, to use that word, whereas we're so used to seeing the formation change being reactive, being reacting to a big defeat and Newcastle going back to square one and starting all over again. This was something that, that it, it worked. You know, it they've been playing well in the formation they were playing and they changed and were able to adapt and they did it pretty seamlessly. I I totally agree with what Chris says about Alan St. Maximan. I was very disappointed with that because one of the features of their play, I thought, was that energy, was everybody uh, running. I thought Almiron did that, you know, we, we know about some of his frailties as a player, but the effort he put into it, very much sort of replicating what Fraser's been doing, absolutely running himself to a to, to to the standstill. Couldn't have given any more in terms of that. And Newcastle pressing in the way they did against Chelsea, they caused them problems and caused Chelsea to give to give the ball away. Chelsea looked nervous and Newcastle needed that same level of impetus and energy uh when Saint Maxima uh came on for Almiron and they didn't get it. And I do, yeah, I was I was sort of irritated with that on the day. We know what he can do with the ball at his feet. He's sensational. He can do the unexpected. He's Newcastle's, you know, game changer. He still is. We love him to bits. But they needed him to put a shift in at that point. And the energy level dropped when he came on because he wasn't able or was unwilling to do the same thing that, that Almiron did. So that was a, that was a disappointment. Um, but no, overall, um, you know, very, very few complaints about the way they played, the way they approached the game, tactically, mentally, emotionally, all the rest of it. Really, really good. Right then, we'll be back in uh, in just a moment with Thomas Concannon. But just before we go to that, I've got a couple of seconds to tell you to subscribe to The Athletic now and get your first six months at just £1 a month. Go to theathletic.com forward slash Newcastle pod and you get full access to all of the great writing analysis as well as ad-free versions of all of the Athletics podcasts. So make your way to theathletic.com forward slash Newcastle pod and sign up for six months at just £1 a month right now. Come on you Maggie. 
Four consecutive away games, including three in a week, has, well, let's say, raised a few eyebrows amongst the Toon Army. Earlier on, George and Chris spoke to NUFC Trust Thomas Concannon. Uh, Thomas is partway through his attendance at all of those games, covering however many hundreds of miles in the process. Thomas, you've been down at Southampton. You then stayed down south and were at the Chelsea game, Everton to come. I mean, just, just in terms of that that schedule those three games three away games in such a short space of time what's it been like so far and, and what's your thoughts in terms of how that affects Newcastle fans it's been a, a tiresome trip I won't lie I'm, I'm, I'm a little bit tired and uh, but I'm, I'm still looking forward to Everton on Thursday and rounding off uh, what is after the Southampton win is, is already a great week in my opinion you know going into these four games I would have taken I probably would have taken two points so the fact that we've already got three I'm, I'm, I'm quite satisfied and but it's uh, it has been quite a taxing trip. But I think a lot of people had a had an idea, they had the idea that I had, and just staying down there. I know many went back and then came back down. So in terms of fixture scheduling, it's a little bit of a nightmare for Newcastle fans. But um, it's it's one of those that you, at times you just take it on the chin and, and you do what you've got to do. It's asking a hell of a lot of fans, isn't it, to sort of do these do these three games? I mean, is it something that we should be angry about, or sort of upset about, or irritated about, or is it just? The consequence of having of having that, those games postponed through COVID. I think it's definitely the consequence of that, and I think you know there is an element of that where, like I've just said, you take it on the chin a little bit. You know, the the rearranged fixtures they had to be done. At, they had to be played at some point. I think that there could be a little bit more thought for fans when rearranging these fixtures and saying, "Well, hang on, so they've got Chelsea. Then let's not put them away, away, away." And then obviously subsequently with the Palace game being postponed, that's. It's four away games in a row. The maximum's normally two, isn't it, in terms of the fixture scheduling? So it's definitely something that they can definitely raise. I wish they would take it into account. Um, you know, Thursday in Southampton's London on on a Sunday. It's 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 a difficult one, isn't it? We we like to we like to moan about it as fans, but I think as soon as they start taking geography into the occasion, they might not get anything done. That's probably their argument. Um, but yeah, it's it's definitely something you wish they would take into account. Can you remember another schedule like this, Thomas? I mean, it, it, I mean, outside of sort of European years, the only thing I can think of sort of a comparison was in the Championship when there was sort of Huddersfield, Brighton, and Reading all in a short space of time. Can you can you think of a, of a situation like this in the Premier League where there's been three such away games close by? In the Premier League, off the top of my head, no. The the one the one moment they did spring to mind was obviously the the championship season with the, the three games that you just mentioned. Um, it was definitely a lot tougher back in when we were in Europe. Um, back in twenty twelve, we had you know Monday night games at Stoke and and Swan and midweek trips to Swansea, Monday night games at Fulham, following European trips as well. That was that was that was brutal. But then you take that on the chain again because you're in Europe. But it's. Um, yeah, I can't remember a schedule like this for for a long, long time. Definitely. How much is it sort of hammered hammered the wallet, and how much is it hammered the liver? <laughs> the liver more than the wallet. <laughs> 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 definitely, I was, uh, Southampton was a really good night. I must admit, it was you know we had a we had a good drink after that one because it was such a massive win. Um, but and then I've I've stayed down south with some family, uh, so it was good to see them as well and have a couple of drinks. And then uh, I probably took it a little bit lighter on Sunday against Chelsea. So. Uh, <laughs> Well, I was—I had the great pleasure of watching the match with you yesterday, which was uh, which was brilliant. I mean, it's you know it has been a very tough week, and it is still a tough week for Newcastle fans. But turning up in such such huge numbers—I mean, it was a fantastic atmosphere again at Chelsea, wasn't it? Oh, superb! I mean, 
not many clubs would be able to pull that out of the bag in terms of the numbers that we have in such a short space of time, especially at the distance that, that Newcastle fans are, are obviously required to travel. So, it, 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 I mean, yesterday was a great atmosphere. We were so unlucky in the end. Um, it was it was heartbreaking, really, wasn't it? You know, you're just a little bit gut-wrenching, but still a, a sense of pride. And, yeah, the support has just been tremendous. That's one thing that we can be proud of being top of the list for. And one of the interesting things about being at Chelsea yesterday, we were in the back row in the away stand, and it's it's that rail it's that rail seating or rail standing, what do you call it? And it was it was a great experience being part of that, standing up, watching the match, feeling very secure in that um, in that environment. Give us a little update on what the trust are doing now in terms of that and and Newcastle. We've raised it with the club. We have been doing so for years since rail standing was sort of coming to the fore and. And was becoming one of the options, one of the safest options. You know, real seating was was definitely considered to be the safest option for fans, um, rather than just completely eradicating the seat, having the seat there as well as a rail in front. Um, so we've we've mentioned it with the club um, pre takeover and, and post takeover, and it is it's a it's a it's a big logistical effort for the club to 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 install. You know, it, it would it would come at a, a little bit of a cost, um, but it's something fans want to see. You know, I think if you Especially in St James's Park, you've got a mixture of fans. Some fans who want to sit, some fans who want to stand. Why not create a place for for both and um, and give people what they want? You know, a lot of people want to stand and they want to stand safely. Um, and putting that rail barrier in front, as you saw yesterday, George, we talked about it. It was just it's such a safe way because you can lean on it. Yeah. yeah, I mean, if you score, there's the, the the risk of falling down rows is is probably taken away. Um, yeah, it's, it's something I'd love to see in St James's Park, and it, it's great to see that, that clubs across the Premier League are putting that in now. How would that affect capacity, Thomas? Would it would it allow for potential increased capacity? I mean, obviously, some people who might not want to stand, maybe wherever the stand section was, may need to move to a different sort of section of the ground, so there'll be that potential disruption. But would it potentially allow for increased capacity, or is it just the same? I think with the regulations that are in place with safe standing and the, the tight rules around it as, as what's being implemented right now, I dare say that it wouldn't increase the capacity. Um, we again, me and George spoke about this yesterday. One of the issues that Newcastle have is potentially the space between the the rows that, that might have to be fixed. Whether that, you know, if they do install it, whether that has an impact on the capacity, we'll just have to wait and see. Um, but I think right now in England, it'll just it'll stay the same. It'll be one seat, one person, and um, it's not like Germany, you know, where they might they might take out the. The seats and and then that might create room for 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 a few more people in that row. I, I dare say England won't follow suit for for quite some time on that one. So yeah, time will tell. Thomas, I've just got I've just got one final question. It's sort of a broader one about sort of. I mean, obviously you follow the team home and away. You go to as many games as you possibly can. In terms of since the takeover in October, has how has the experience changed or is it exactly the same? Is there a renewed buzz in the away end? What's that like? Because I remember George talking about Wolves, the, the final game pre-takeover, which I wasn't at, but, but he spoke to a lot of people who said that that away end, it just felt like that this was never going to end. It's always going to be this negative. How has it changed since then? It's a completely different club. We we speak about that Wolves game quite often with me and my friends and we, we say we came out with there and we were just rock bottom. We were absolutely rock bottom. We saw no way out of it. Steve Bruce's manager, it was just going nowhere it, other than relegation. Um, it is completely different. There was just a, a, a complete buzz about the place. Tickets are selling out straight away. Um, you know, you, you, 
it's becoming quite the debate now about loyalty points and away games and stuff like that. And it's definitely something we'll have to get into with the club and because it's, you know, games are selling out on very, very high requirements for, for away games. and But that just goes to show the, the buzz that's around the place. People want to go. People are desperate to go. Tickets are gold dust once again. And I can't remember when that was when that was last the case. Um, it is a completely different football club. And it's just it's great to be part of. Perfect. Well, thank you very much for, for coming on, Thomas. That, I really appreciate your time. And enjoy Everton on Thursday. Hopefully, hopefully another win for, for you to celebrate. Fingers crossed. I'm driving, so I'll, um, it's a little bit of a healthier trip for me this time. <laughs> <laughs> Give yourself some respect. Well, very safe travels. Looking for an assist with your credit card but can't get a hold of anyone? Luckily, with 24-7 US-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime day or night. Yep, you heard it right. You can talk to a real human in customer service anytime. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask me. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. This episode is supported by season three of FX's Welcome to Wrexham. Celebrity owners Rob McElhenney and Ryan Reynolds' small-town Welsh football club has finally been promoted into League Two after 15 seasons in the National League. Dedicated staff and supporters celebrate the city's return to glory while bracing for the newfound challenges that come with being in a higher division. Will Wrexham AFC stand up to the challenges and rise again into League One? FX is welcome to Wrexham. Catch all new episodes Thursdays on FX. Stream on Hulu. So, controversy on the pitch on Sunday, but even before the game had kicked off, headlines surrounded this match and the sort of headlines that nobody wants. George parked himself outside Stamford Bridge and here's a little taste of what he saw and heard. Hello, this is George Culkin. I'm outside Stamford Bridge, uh, not too long before Chelsea play Newcastle. Lots of fans milling around. It's very, very busy. At the same time, it's not quite the same as it always is. On the tube on the way over, there was a Chelsea fan with his son there, and his son said, uh, oh, what's going to happen today, Dad? And the older fella said, we're going to fucking smash him like we always do. So it does feel normal in that sense, but there's small pockets of protests around. There's lots of media. I've bumped into Liam, our brilliant Chelsea writer. What do you make of the atmosphere here today, Liam? Honestly, it doesn't look any different to... Chelsea home games that, that I've been to before you know there are people just milling around you're not hearing you're not hearing like endless choruses of Roman Abramovich I've heard it a couple of times there was one, one quite interesting moment as I was coming out of Fulham Broadway station where a guy in front of me with his kid um, got out his phone smiling to sort of take a selfie video the fans behind him singing you are my Chelsea, my only Chelsea, and then they immediately switched to Roman Abramovich. He put his phone away again. Um, so that I think that that moment kind of sums up the fact that there's not really a universal feeling here. I think a lot of fans are are still figuring out what they what they make of what's happened in the last two weeks, and I think they will be for a little while. But they're sort of waiting, like everyone else, to see what happens next with Chelsea. And I think we all expect 
there to be significant developments in the next week or two with regards to a sale. But for now, it is definitely part of the sort of surreal aesthetic of this game. So approaching kickoff now, fans pouring in, and still it feels like a pretty normal match day experience to me. Um, the one thing that does feel strange is the number of media outlets and media people. I realise I'm one of those, so there's an irony in me saying that. But approaching Chelsea fans to comment on the situation regarding their club and uh, Russia and Ukraine and Abramovich, that feels very peculiar. But the rest of it doesn't. At the moment, it really doesn't. I don't know what I expected today. I think maybe I expected it to feel different and it hasn't really felt different. There have been some, you know, chants from Newcastle fans inside the stadium, as you've heard, but, I mean, that's very much par for the course. The way it feels to me is it's it's business as unusual. It's not quite the same, but, yeah, football rolls on, money rolls on. So, yeah, that report uh, in full is available via Monday's Athletic Football Podcast. But, George, tell us a little bit more about the mood at Stamford Bridge uh, on Sunday. Obviously, a very weird situation that we're in at the minute with Chelsea. Yes, and I should clarify the reason I was there actually wasn't anything to do with Newcastle, really. Um, Sort of my boss asked me to go down to write about Chelsea to spend the day sort of from uh, dawn to dusk outside Stamford Bridge and try and capture the feeling or the mood of a club where suddenly sort of everything was different because, of course, we know about Roman Abramovich being sanctioned by the government. We know that they've lost their their owner and that they're up for sale and that, you know, suddenly in the space of a couple of weeks, everything has kind of changed. And I suppose what I was trying to get across there was that really the day-to-day match day experience was very, very similar to what you'd expect because Chelsea had sold all their tickets, so it's not as if it was only their season ticket holders who could go. The away fans were there in number. There were kind of peculiarities like the number of journalists being there, as I mentioned, and the club shop being closed because they can't, they couldn't trade. There being no match programs for sale, and so it wasn't a strange experience. It was a normal experience, but it was a peculiar occasion, I suppose, is the way that I'd put it. And of course, the fact that. Chelsea were playing Newcastle made it all the more peculiar because you've got the old new new money versus the new new money and I'm only going to speak for myself here but it it does it does make me not re-examine what's happened to Newcastle but it has made me sort of try and take a step back and think about it again because we all know who the 80% owners of of Newcastle are but We've seen one club in the Premier League, the one who changed it for everybody else in terms of, you know, we heard Sir John Hall talking about how Abramovich coming in changed everything for Newcastle, that they suddenly he suddenly couldn't compete with Chelsea anymore. And, you know, Newcastle are the latest example of clubs who have followed that trend and we've just seen the first team have everything thrown up in the air because of events in another country. And so it was peculiar. And yeah, it, it, I suppose it did make me, it, it did sort of bring things home again. And it does again when you've got a Russian flag or Russian colours in the Chelsea end and it says the Roman Empire. You also have a Ukraine flags in the stadium because of what's happening. You have a Saudi flag in the away end. You have a Saudi Chelsea supporters club banner. And you've got all these things coming together. And in the middle of it, 
you've got two sets of football fans just taking the piss out of each other, which is what happens on a Saturday everywhere up and down the country. So I've tried to write about it as well. I'm not sure if I've succeeded in sort of saying anything uh, profound, but it was weird. And I do think, you know, it has made me think about it again. I mean, it's worth stating as well, before we go any further with this, that any problems encountered by fans or by clubs are nothing, uh, you know, when we put them in the reality of the the, the people in the Ukraine and the problems that they're facing at the minute. That is the real world, isn't it? And, uh, you know, we use football as a bit of escapism. It's certainly how I look at football as well. And, and, you know, for for those 90 minutes of of escapism from your your general day-to-day life, I mean, it's easy for us to do that. But there's people in the Ukraine and in other parts of the world who don't get that option, you know. Uh, so we've got to remember that. And I like that. I like that line that you said: uh, "Business as unusual at Stamford Bridge, George." That's uh, it's 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 a strange one, isn't it? Where you know this pre- the Premier League is such a massive product, and you I find it bizarre that something like this is happening to one of their clubs. Yeah, and it's two of their clubs because uh, you know perhaps perhaps sort of I'll bring Chris in in a, in a second because he was there for this, but. You've got two football managers, one of whom is answering questions about war and an invasion of another country, and then the other in Eddie Howe being asked about 81 executions in Saudi on Saturday. And, you know, there's a response from a lot of fans saying that, you know, this feels unfair, what's he supposed to say, and so on. But if there is that juxtaposition of a Saudi flag in the away end and the Saudi state... It states it's it's state sanctioned execution of people. It is such a bizarre position that football has allowed itself to get into. For this to be usual for us is incredibly unusual. It's astonishing. I'm not gonna lie, I've sort of had a grapple mentally, I think, in terms of covering the club and everything that's going on around it and what should we cover, what should we not cover, what do I write about, is it football, is it other side? I know that, that a lot of people commenting on, on articles on the ethics say that they only want to read about football and you have other elements and it, it it's very difficult for me as someone who cares so much about the region and the club to, to try and have that internal debate with myself and, and, and what I think best services the club, but also I think it is, it is right given the situation that is, that's going on in the world at the moment. But the, the press conference after the game was, was pretty excruciating, I'll be honest, to, to be sat in. I mean, I, I started by asking questions about football. I asked about the penalty incidents and about what how I thought of the game, and there was a couple of, on that. And then a few colleagues at, at, at other organization started then asking questions but I think that I think that it was a legitimate topic I do think given everything that was going on around the game I think that some of the questions were legitimate I understand how stat stands to a certain extent where he just says he just wants to talk about football I do think he could do that while being more empathetic to the situation certainly just at no point as he, as he sort of said like there's terrible suffering going on in Ukraine or Yemen or all of these sorts of things he could just say that without being committal on anything and I think that he could he could go a little further than he has been on that but equally and I don't want to dig out any of my colleagues who work for their organisations but the, 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 the sort of Mood in the press conference, the the sort of way that it felt as if it's it still feels like there's a sort of condescending tone from some people towards football fans and that trying to sort of square a circle, which I think is impossible to square, which I as a reporter covers a club find it impossible to square in that it isn't 
a straightforward situation. It is nuanced, and I got a lot of criticism from people when I said it was it was nuanced when the takeover happened, and when I was discussing it on various different mediums at that point, people come back to me and go, what's nuanced about so many people being executed or whatever? But it is nuanced because you are talking about people who have supported a club their entire life, and there was the Mike Ashley situation of him leaving, and all these emotional connections. And so football and sport and politics have become blurred, but that doesn't make it an easy situation for people to feel. And some people, they are seeing their club doing well, that they're feeling more connected to it in many ways and that is a juxtaposition which is difficult to explain to other people and so I just think that I felt for Howe in some ways I don't think he handled it particularly well but I felt for him in some ways and I do think that there needs to be it needs to be sort of delicately treated with in a slightly different way in terms of the way this is presented in some quarters I do think there is uh, just some of the coverage I don't think has necessarily been fair I think that tweeting out some of the bits that came out of the press conference it, it lacked the context of what the actual when the actual questions came in and the situation it was in wider pieces fair enough but yeah it's a very very difficult situation it's one I can't pretend to have got my head around I have to be honest some of the some of the things I read on Sunday about football fans in general I, I, I thought was absolutely embarrassing some of it I, I, there, there was bits of it which they make out fans uh, as if we should be some sort of moral arbiter for for what's going on here, and and I understand people need to be educated about this stuff, and and if you don't know an awful lot about what goes on in different parts of the world, it's really hard to have an opinion. But some of the stuff I saw written this week about fans and about what we should be doing and what we should be thinking and how we should be behaving, I found quite difficult to read. One of the things that I sort of mentioned in the written piece, I'm not sure if I said it in the audio, but was that. There were sort of lots of lots of media people, and this isn't having a go at my own, you know, profession. But I walked past people at one point, and it was a reporter basically shouting out to people, "Can you give us thirty seconds on Russia?" And it's like, well, what do you expect a Chelsea fan to say about Russia in thirty seconds? Not saying it's sort of a laying of traps or or whatever, but. Honestly, it's it's rock hard. I'm you know I'm the same. I find it very difficult to reconcile all these feelings that I have at the moment. I feel really positive about the team. I feel positive about a lot of things about the club. But at the same time, I do think we have to have our eyes open. Or I'll rephrase that. I do want I want to have my eyes open. I think I'm not speaking on behalf of anybody else and and wouldn't dream of it. And I think when the takeover happened, my sort of theory to myself was that okay well this is you know this is the ultimate example of money winning and you know it's already happened at Chelsea it's already happened at Man City it's happened at countless other places now this might be the most extreme version of it but it's happened everywhere else and you know the people that take these decisions in this case the Premier League you know according to the same rules that everybody else has 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 had their test pass Newcastle have had their test pass i suppose what's happened in the last two or three weeks reminds you that money doesn't always win or that there can be consequences and so you know Chelsea again are going through an absolutely extraordinary situation at the minute nothing as you rightly tell nothing that can compares to what's happening in Ukraine but absolutely everything has changed and there are consequences and things can happen and so you know I think it's a good idea to 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 think about the situation to sort of examine it examine it if you are taking a Saudi flag into a stadium you're going to get associated with that country that is you know that's just a fact and you know I, I, I don't know information is the is the most powerful thing that you can have at your disposal I think as a human being I suppose that's all I that's all I think really
It's an interesting one, isn't it? I mean, fans are essentially powerless in all this, aren't they? They, they are the last people who are ever asked about about the decisions that are made, but they, fans can make a difference and fans can do things and, and you know, flags and, and the songs that we sing and stuff like that. It's something we have to think about, isn't it? And, and no doubt the questions will continue to be asked and this topic is one that won't go away anytime soon. Uh, we will be back in just a second just to round things off and uh, talk about that game against Everton coming up next week. So then, just to round things off, before we uh, finish up for the day, uh, Newcastle are off to Goodison Park on Thursday. Chris, another crunch tie at the arse end of the table. Uh, the opponents, though, Everton in a bit of a mess at the minute, aren't they? On form. Hang on. Whoa, whoa, whoa. Where's your, where's your arse and your stomach? <laughs> Newcastle are in the middle. Fair play. I'll give you that. I'll give you that. I'll give you that. In the, the middle to bottom end of the table. Um, Chris, on form... You know, it looks like there's a there's points there for the taking if we want them. If we go there and uh, and we put a shift in, yeah, significant pressure on Everton. It's a massive game for them because they have some very very difficult fixtures coming up as well. And it'll be fascinating to see how Newcastle respond from having that that nine games unbeaten is now that run is ended. Um, they put in a very very good performance, but they hopefully will have some bodies back for for Thursday. Joe Linton might be back. Joe Willock and John Joe Shelby might be back, Ryan Fraser as well. And if those players are coming in, then then how may shift back to, to the 4-3-3 in the team they've been doing so well for so long. But really, if Newcastle can start well, they can put pressure on Everton and a club that just feels, it feels externally, at least looking at them from the outside in, it, it feels like a place that is just very unhappy at the moment. It feels like a club that's only heading in one direction, whereas Newcastle seem the other way. And so I think that Newcastle will go there with, with, with a lot of positivity and a lot of belief that they can just disrupt Everton and, and really cause them problems. I thought St. James's they were far superior to Everton, even though uh, they conceded that early goal. I, th- I thought the second half they were excellent and hopefully they can replicate that performance again. And yeah, I, I see no reason why they, they, they can't get at least a point, but probably even all three. It would be nice if we had some of those bodies back, George, wouldn't it? Um, Jalinton, I think, is probably one of the big ones. We've, we've really missed his physicality in the middle of the pitch, haven't we? Yeah, I mean, I think everybody's done well in his in his absence, but again, it's it's uh, it's amazing to be saying that, isn't it? We've really missed Jalinton. I mean, get get your head around that. It's incredible. I love it though. Yeah, it's brilliant. No, I, he's and he's been he's been fabulous. He's been absolutely fabulous there. No, I mean, it's Everton are in an absolute shambles. It's four defeats in a row in the league, um, and it's five out of six if you include Newcastle's Newcastle's win as well. So they are there for the taking, and I, you know, I just think that there should be no negativity on the back of on the back of Newcastle's performance at Chelsea they should really be going there I mean yeah I'm sure there'll be some tired bodies and yeah I'm again I'm, I'm sure there'll be some changes because there probably probably needs to be but it's a it's a fixture to to go there to be to to try and win I mean again pretty astonishing pretty astonishing to say that but why not mad isn't it I saw a, a quote from Frank Lampard the other day as well where he said you know you can't just walk into a, a team in a relegation battle and go on an unbeaten run well, Frank, need to take a leaf out of Eddie's book, don't you, mate? <laughs> Took how a little bit of time, to be fair, but yeah, I think ah, no, Chris, no, <laughs> piffle, don't worry about any of that. Uh, yeah, like you touched on earlier on with Thomas, I mean, are we still in a relegation battle? I don't know if we are anymore, but we're still down that end of the table and, you know, Newcastle have to be careful they don't get dragged back in with a couple of defeats in a row or anything like that. Well, momentum could change quickly, but I can't see Newcastle going down from this position. They're nine points clear of the bottom three, there are three teams between them and the bottom three, 
and I can't see enough teams bettering the Newcastle's right between now and the end of the season. So no, I I see absolutely no way Newcastle go down from this position. But they are not mathematically safe yet, and until they until they get to sort of mid to late thirties, I don't think anyone could say they can. But equally, I mean, they are they're closer now to the to to ninth than they are to the relegation zone, which is which is astonishing really considering where they were a few months ago so yeah i think i think i think relegation is is not something they need to fear anymore but it's not quite done yet and just before we finish off chris um there's uh, some news with dip our toe in the newcastle history uh and a plaque to be unveiled recently uh, in honor of uh, some former newcastle united heroes yeah so george and teb robledo the chilean brothers are probably the best brothers in terms of most successful brothers in Newcastle United's history who won FA Cups during the 1950s. The blue plaque is being unveiled at their former residence in Fenham, 5 Ridgeway on May the 3rd, 1.30pm. 70 years to the day since George scored the winner in the 1952 FA Cup final for Newcastle. George's daughter Elizabeth is coming across from Chile, so they were Chilean footballers where the Robledos were from. And it basically there's a guy called Chris Brook who is a Sheffield United fan, but has been campaigning for for a few years to get a plaque in Barnsley where the where the Robledo brothers were initially, and then also this plaque in Newcastle to commemorate. They are some of the, the they were some of the first South American footballers to come to the UK, and they were so successful, particularly for Newcastle United. And I wrote a big article a couple of years ago for the Athletic, which I tweeted out earlier, basically looking at their story from the perspective of the third brother, Walter, who wasn't a footballer but who lived with them throughout that time. And I mean, it's a it's a it's a story of triumph and tragedy because uh, Ted unfortunately died in, in in very mysterious circumstances while on a ship out in the in the Middle East. But really, it's a it's a fascinating tale. Some people, two very very important players in Newcastle United's history, and yeah, plaque's going to be commemorate gonna commemorate them for, forever in in where they lived during the time in Newcastle. So I think it's a wonderful thing. It's fantastic, and and obviously everybody thinks that the uh, the Premier League invented football, but obviously uh, there's an amazing stat about George Robledo, isn't there? The highest number of goals scored in a season by a non-Englishman in the top flight as well, which is an absolutely amazing stat when you think about the players who've played in the top flight in this country over the years. It's uh, incredible, that, isn't it? It is, and I think Elizabeth, uh, George's daughter, who, who I spoke to for the piece news coming across the Unveil, and I believe she is also going to be at the Newcastle-Liverpool game as a guest of the club, so that's also wonderful as well for her to come across for that. So, yeah, brilliant. Right then, chop. shall we round things up? Any more for any more? I uh, know. I'm all talked out. That makes a change, George. Chris, are you all done? Yeah, anything else to spring on us before we finish up for the day? Uh, just that my favourite part of the podcast was the bit that you went on. Oh, God. Oh, there's a man. There's oh, a man oh, lashing out for his... That's a dig, isn't it? Look at him. For his treatment at the start of the podcast. Desperately trying to claw back some kind of dignity from oh, the dear. absolute shit show that was his attempted Twitter space. Oh, Pathetic. Wow. We've been part of such a successful team environment, and now we're all splintering. We we're splintering. We're believing oh. our own publicity. Mm. Oh, are you playing football now, Chris? I am indeed, yes. Yeah, well, I hope you get beaten. I hope you don't score, and I hope you're shit. So, anyway. <laughs> I'll be like every other week then, so it doesn't be no Anyway, right, don't forget our special offer. You can get a subscription to The Athletic with your first six months at just £1 a month at theathletic.com forward slash Newcastle pod and now we all hate each other and don't want to talk anymore it's time to say goodbye thanks very much to George and Chris for your time as always and thank you dear listener for tuning in once again we'll be back 
very soon, possibly next week, who knows, with another Twitter space and another chance for Chris to show just what an absolute useless bastard he is when it comes to technology. Thanks very much for listening. We'll speak to you very soon from everyone at Pot on the Time. Goodbye. my answer now was there going to be audio no that's the next bit that's the next bit sorry apologies everyone <laughs> well I, I think Chris, when the team Chris, chief... Chris sorry can I interrupt you do you mind muting yourself please that's a lot better thanks <laughs> <laughs> what an arsehole oh. <laughs> that's a dig <laughs> The Athletic.